fullness of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Thank you, Ariel. Today we're finishing up this mini-series that we've been calling Friendship in the Margins, as we've been looking at the topic of mercy ministry, uh, that is, the ministry of caring for people uh, in their physical and financial hardships. It's a vision that we have of not only serving and loving our local neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, but also a vision for building an economically diverse and economically inclusive church community. One of the best things as we finish up here, one of the best things that we can all do to grow this vision, to live it, uh, to breathe it, is to pray for it. To pray for ourselves. Uh, to, to soak in it, in our souls and our hearts a little bit more because we need help. We all, we need God's help to grow in this way. God's supernatural help because we need changed hearts. Change minds, ready feet, open hands. Um, I know that's the case for myself too, personally. Uh, I need God's help to grow in this vision as well. Actually, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of my friends from college happened to be visiting this area and spent some time talking after he sat in, joined us for worship, heard one of these sermons. And he said to me, what a, what a compelling vision uh, that you're pursuing, uh, this is something that you've held on to personally for quite some time, isn't it? And I said to him, hey man, you knew me in college. I didn't care about any of this stuff then. And I reminded him of a friend we had, a good friend, roommate, uh, Eddie, who we used to make fun of for hanging out at the university community service center all the time. Kind of poking fun at him, wanting to change the world. Until a few years later, after some of this from Scripture caught my heart, I gave him a book related to ministry to the poor, and on the inside I remember writing to him, Eddie, to Eddie, who had a social conscience before I even knew one existed, before I even knew what one was. I'm on a journey to, even as I try to, together with you, lead and grow and figure out what this looks like in a crazy neighborhood like this. But because we need to grow together, what we need is prayer. So pray. Pray through these things. Go back and listen to the different sermons. Talk about them with your friends. 
Pray with your neighborhood groups if you're in one of our midweek small groups. Join one so that you can pray in community if you're not in one. Tuesday mornings, we have a 7.30 early morning prayer time every week. We are going to probably, it looks like, change it a little bit for the summer to focus on this very topic of mercy and justice for the poor. Praying for our neighborhood, praying for our neighbors, praying for ourselves. So stay tuned for that change. Tuesday morning is a way to focus prayer on this topic. And we also have a special night of prayer. A prayer night coming up on Monday evening on the 24th. We'll hear more about this as well. We'll gather here in the church, give some time to sing, to massage our hearts, to praise God for all his blessings, and to, to pray that he would move us out into one another's lives, to draw people in, to care, to serve, to love as Christ has loved us. So stay tuned for that prayer night as well on June 24th. All these wonderful ways that we continue to hope to grow. One last message. We'll try to keep this brief for the sake of time. But let's pause here and pray before we continue. Jesus, uh, we're asking uh, one more time again in this series that you'll help us. That you'll give us your spirit so that we'll hear what we need to hear. That we'll understand. And more important than understand, that we'll live our hands and feet and hearts and lives and eyes and ears and everything about us. This vision that you called us to, loving our neighbors. So please come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to just dive right in. Dive right in. Three points. Uh, three things we're going to look at from this passage. Three key words. First, generosity. Second, inventory. And thirdly, testimony. Generosity, inventory, and testimony. Today's passage comes from a section of Deuteronomy, the book of the Old Testament, that one commentator, Christopher Wright, entitled A Portrait of a Caring Society. A Portrait of a Caring Society. And we're looking specifically here in the 24th chapter at a series of commands in Deuteronomy that are often called the Gleaning Law. Let me read it again for you. Verses 19 to 21. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless. In other words, to put it simply, farmers in Israel were restricted from gleaning or harvesting all the way out to the outer edges of their fields. They weren't allowed to gather 100% of their crops. Instead, they were required to leave some of it for refugees, for orphans, for widows, for the poor. I mean, think about it for just a second, just how incredible this call to generosity really is in real terms. God was telling the people of Israel, is telling us today, hit the pause button. 
to provide for the poor. It's hard for us to get our minds around it, especially because we live in a society that is constantly preaching to your minds and to your hearts that you maximize, maximize, maximize all benefit to yourself. Because after all, you deserve it. Pause, to hit the pause button on your personal profits so that you have something to provide for the poor. What might that look like today? Well, it might mean that we should build into our lives a pattern of joyfully giving away our resources, a lifestyle of not just spending on ourselves, but spending on others. Of not just profiting ourselves, but profiting our neighbor. Notice that God is not just talking about your spare change or your spare energy given in your spare time. This is intentional, planned, self-sacrificial giving. The book of Deuteronomy was actually written, given by Moses to the people of God right before they were about to step into the promised land, rehearsing the history of God's blessings to them and the obligations that they have in gratitude to their God, how they're to live in community, how they're to love their God and love their neighbor. They have not yet been blessed as it's being described. They are not yet in full community in the promised land. So even before they enter in, before they have anything, God is saying here, plan for it. Plan to give. Plan for this sort of lifestyle of generosity. Budget for it. Make sacrificial generosity a habit and not a one-time and would we recognize here, too, that this wheat farmer in Israel, this vineyard tender, this landowner in Israel, might take home for himself less than what his, say, Hittite wheat farmer in the kingdom next door might take home. In other words, living with this sort of generosity may mean that you're choosing to live one or two notches below the living standard of your peers. Because you're living with that sort of generosity. And you're not just maximizing personal profit and personal gain with the blessings that the Lord has given you. It might mean if you're a business owner, maybe you're a consultant, or maybe you own a hair salon down the street, it might mean that you shouldn't be trying to squeeze out every possible penny of profit out of your business, you know, raising prices as high as possible and lowering employee pay as much as possible, even if it hurts them. But rather, perhaps you should be willing to charge lower than maxed out prices and pay higher than bottom of the barrel wages as one way to share your profit with more of the community and more of people who just don't even have that choice. Notice a couple of additional principles of generosity that we also find in this passage here. First, 
that true generosity is justice, not niceness. True generosity is justice, not niceness. Listen again to the sentence that introduces this entire passage, verse 17. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of what? Justice. Or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Christopher Wright, again, wonderful Old Testament scholar. He points out that the Hebrew word for justice here, mishpat, is broader than just courtroom justice. The way that we normally think of that word. Law and the penalty of the law. Rather, in Hebrew, it includes a person's rights. So that means these gleaning laws are a matter of right, not simply charity. And being generous with the things that God has blessed you and me with, whether if it's money or whether if it's opportunities, skills, gifts, education, experiences, abilities that you might have, being generous with these things is not just an act of compassion, it's what's right. It's what's due to people in great need, people that are made in God's image, and if they're in Christ, people that are brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a totally different mindset, isn't it? A different gospel obligation when you start to see that generosity is a matter of justice and not simply niceness. Secondly, true generosity is participatory. What I mean by that is this. Notice the passage actually doesn't say Israelite, harvest your crops and give to the poor. No, the farmer doesn't glean to the outer edges. Why? Because the alien, the fatherless, the widow are invited themselves to jump in and gather grain and grapes for themselves. They're invited to participate too in their being lifted up. To use their energy and their God-given gifts. To use your energy and your God-given gifts. To be given the joy and dignity of earning your own food and sustenance. Meeting your own needs and providing for your own families. And to say, that there, what I did, was a job well done. And you see this picture that we have here of people working. Working alongside the farmer. And his family. It's almost, you could say, a sort of partnership. A partnership. Can that characterize our relationships amongst ourselves here in this congregation as well as with neighbors around us? Because there is a difference when true generosity is participatory and inclusive. Thirdly, true generosity we see here makes you root for your neighbor's Success. Can you imagine what this gleaning principle did for the relationship between farmers and widows in Israel, and farmers and foreigners in Israel? Uh, you, you better believe that they were rooting for the farmer to have the biggest harvest ever. For God really to pour out his blessings upon them, for them to succeed and to bear fruit. Do you see, what would it be like 
reputation for generosity. That the neighborhood gets excited when you do well. What would it be like to have such a track record of sacrificial giving, even at great cost to yourself, that the neighborhood gets pumped up when you get a raise because they know that someone else in the local community is going to be better off because you are too. Or where your neighbors get excited when you take a night class or you get a degree or you sharpen a skill because they know when she does better, we all do. When he gets blessed, we get which is what Proverbs 11.10 means when it says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. May it be so in this city and in this neighborhood. Can we live lives of such gospel-overflowing generosity that everyone is glad when you're blessed? Everyone is rooting for your success. Because in your success is their success. And in your blessing is found their blessing. Because that's how generous you are. Generosity, second point, second key word, inventory. Inventory. You notice here the passage lists out a couple different lines of work couple of different ways that God has blessed the individual in the way that they use their energy, their skills, their gifts. We have one farmer who is apparently harvesting grain. You hear reference to these sheaves, these stocks of bundles of stocks of grain, wheat, corn, or barley. We hear about olives from olive trees. We hear about grapes in your vineyard. Perhaps the author could have included sheep herders, tending sheep, maybe a baker, a craftsman, a metalsmith, a clothing designer, a musician. You see clearly the reference is that you gave out of the unique skills and livelihood that God has given you whatever it is. And so this principle applies not just to generosity with our money, but generosity with our gifts, with our experiences, with the person that God made you to be, with the background that he's given you, with the story that he's writing in your life. And it was different for each person. You simply gave out of the blessings with which you have been blessed. So here's the vital question for you and me today. What's your grace? What's your grace to give to those in need? What are your sheaves of grain? What are your olives that you can offer in care of your neighbors? I'm talking about different blessings, capabilities, power. You might call them assets, know-how, 
Maybe you have a knack for something, a skill, a strength, or talent. It might be a, a skill you have because of your job that you simply need to repurpose into a different setting or reapply them to a neighbor's life. Maybe you're a mechanic and you can do an oil change with your eyes closed. Maybe you take it for granted that everyone can do it. You don't realize it would be of immense service to be able to help someone with their oil change. And up. Uh, might be a gift or ability that you've almost forgotten you've got. Lying dormant in your life might take a sermon like this or a few minutes of reflection for you to realize again, wait a minute, I can sew. I haven't done it in a while, but I know how to do it better than most. To help you to care for someone and repairing their clothing, or maybe even better, to teach them how to do it for themselves. Of course, it takes creative thinking, it takes prayerful and imaginative taking inventory of your life, of our community, and of our neighborhood. I read a story about Craig Pittman, who's a Nashville based professional singer songwriter. He's in a community and in relationship with a, a family that had suffered a tragedy and had this opportunity to care for them, to play music that he plays for a living, that he plays professionally, to use this incredible skill to walk with people whose tears wouldn't stop flowing. This is what he writes. I have played concerts all over the Southeast for over 20 years. And I've recorded my songs, I have led worship service, but I thought the glory cloud would fill the sanctuary by the way the congregation sang. But that night, in the living room of that dear family, God gave me the privilege of seeing real music ministry, when in the privacy of the home, tears of sorrow turned to tears of hope. I got to see God use my handiwork to strengthen and comfort my brothers and sisters in a way I never before had experienced. There is not a recording in the world, nor a concert stage, that I would trade for that night. So what might it be for you? Maybe you've got a car and you say, hey, doesn't everybody got a car? No, not this neighborhood especially. Ways that that car might be used to drive an elderly person to church. Maybe you're pretty good at interior design. Helping a home feel a little bit more like a home. Maybe you can help plan a wedding for someone who's not that good at planning. Not everyone is. Event planning. Someone perhaps that can't afford a wedding planner want to have a ceremony that honors God and their spouse. Maybe you're good with numbers or good with money. You can offer financial counseling to someone that's just figuring out how to put it all together and how to make ends meet. Maybe you're good at working with young men. You don't even know what it is. They just kind of click with you, follow you, listen to you. They respond to you. Maybe you have skills and a background in legal aid and assistance 
someone through the legal system, or you speak Spanish or Farsi, you're trying to help someone to navigate life in an English-speaking world. Or maybe you say, look, FAFSA doesn't intimidate me. I filled out tons of student loan applications. Maybe you can help someone who is intimidated by a student loan application. Maybe you're a mom and you feel like you're just barely able to make it with your own kids, but you have just enough margin to be able to walk with a young single mom who has no clue what to do with her kids. Or maybe you say, look, I'm no pro, but I'm pretty handy around the house. At least I'm not breaking things, I'm kind of fixing things. Would you be willing to help someone who needs fix-it needs, got fix-it needs, in their apartment? I was thinking about this personally myself, just sort of doing this inventory thing this past week. I was thinking, okay, if I were to kind of say, what, what, what grapes do I got? What sheaves of grain do I have personally? And then I started thinking about this. Uh, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, um, a lot of people suffer from speech anxiety. Uh, any guesses out there of what percentage of people in this country suffer from some sort of public speaking anxiety? 60% is one vote. Yes. About half, 50%, 74. Three quarters of people, almost most of you here, would hate to do what I'm doing. And sometimes I do too. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Actually, Jerry Seinfeld. You might have heard this, reacting to one such survey. Uh, you know, these surveys say uh, when people are asked what's your greatest fear, uh, public speaking, in many, if not most surveys, comes out number one, even more than death. Jerry Seinfeld comments on surveys like this. Uh, he says, uh, in other words, at a funeral, the average person would rather be in the casket than given the <laughs> started thinking about that myself and saying, hey, I do a little bit of this sometimes. I can take it for granted too. I received training and teaching even as a kid and how to stand up in front of people and talk and little tips and skills and whatever. Don't always use them. But hey, maybe I too can walk with someone to overcome this fear. Because there's a lot in life where being able to speak in front of people really makes a difference in being able to take steps in doing better. Maybe I can offer up that. Maybe then are my grapes. What's your grapes? God has blessed every individual in this room with a mountain of gifts, skills, abilities that you already have. And if you just think about it, just, just think about it for a second, what would it be like to actually tap into those gifts and skills and opportunities and experiences that we have? What could happen if we unleashed the potential of this little church community in service to people we love in the church and in this local neighborhood? We may have more olives in here than we know. We may be a church that has a fuller vineyard 
than we dare recognize collectively. Which is why we are, starting next week, going to be running a survey, an inventory exercise to ask all of you, what are your gripes? How has God made you? What are your experiences, your skills, even those forgotten, tucked away things that maybe seem like no big deal to you that you can put on the list and we can throw it in a database and when a need arises, we can say, hey, who can fix a broken wall or a broken car engine? Who can decorate a home? Who can walk with a young child or a dad who's just trying to figure out how to be a dad? Who's willing to offer up their sheaves of grain and wheat. And we want to be a church where we're able to say, everyone signed up. You can always say no. Or you can always say it's not the right time. But we're all on the on-deck circle. Because to be a part of this church is to be a part of our neighbor's lives. So you'll see it starting next week. We'll launch it. Walter Howell has been designing it and together with a team of folks put it together, this inventory survey, what we might call our assets in our church, all of our blessings. We're going to do this with neighbors in the neighborhood as well, but first we wanted to start here and figure out who we are and what the untapped blessings in our church might be. Last thing quickly, last thing quickly, generosity, inventory, and our testimony. Who cares? Talk about giving your life away. Who cares? Who wants to do it? Taking inventory of your gifts, giving away your grapes. Who cares? Tell you who cares. People with a testimony. People with a testimony of God's generosity to you. Twice in this passage, Moses points out Verse 18, why do it? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Why, God, why are you spelling out what generosity looks like in this concrete way? Why? Verse 22, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. God had been generous to Israel. God had given out of the storehouses of heaven, pouring into this people who did not deserve it. God here saying, Israel, I set you free. I restored your dignity. Though you were slaves under Pharaoh, I gave you a life. I brought you the full freight of my heavenly resources to care for your needs. Now, do the same for others. Just a little bit, just a little bit of what I've done for you. Because it wasn't just Moses who did the leading and the rescuing, it's Jesus, the ultimate Moses, who brought you out of the ultimate Egypt out of a life of slavery to sin and self-centeredness, if you will have embraced Him as your Savior. 
that Jesus in the gospel rescues you and pours out blessings into your life. Blessings that are just given as a metaphor in the form of grapes and barley and wheat and crops and fields. He's given you a life and he asks you now to spend yourself out of that life because you've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been blessed by your Savior to be a blessing. This is what God calls us to do, not only individually, but together as a community. What might it look like for us, for you? Let's pray. Jesus, we're asking that you give us your spirit, that you give us what we need to respond, to obey. Even as we sing the song, that we would be penetrated in our hearts with the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus. That you would change our hearts from the inside. That we would be poured into with the limitless generosity of our God. That in turn, we might too live with great generosity and service to others. We pray this in Jesus' name.